Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3 say that when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape and form. It was dark over the deep sea. And God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. Friends, the Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, uh, we, we ask that your same spirit that was at work in creation would be at work now, calling forth from us new creation. We offer our bodies as places for your provision and power and presence to be at work. Help us to hear good news and respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we are preaching through... Uh, the beginning of Israel's story because it's the beginning of our story. And the story uh, that is, we're just summarizing as creation, is important so we get sort of our bearings uh, over kind of who we are and where we come from. Now, um, real quick, there is about four hours of stuff I could share in 19 minutes. It's not going to happen, which I know um, a lot of people are relieved about. So join us on Tuesday night, and there's a lot more to share. Uh, on Tuesday night during the class, or listen to the podcast after that. Um, but real quickly to set this up, most scholars think that this creation narrative in Genesis came into form and took its final shape by the time Israel was in exile in Babylon, around 700 BC. Uh, the, the story may have been told earlier, even, and there's evidences that there's references to this, which we'll talk about Tuesday, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, that they may have known that story then too. Uh, but both settings are similar. Israel coming out of Egypt or Israel going to Babylon uh, because they're separated by hundreds of years. But they bring the same questions to a people, right? Who are we? You know, in the shadow of empire, in the shadow of being oppressed, enslaved, not having an identity of our own, but being co-opted or subsumed under a larger pagan, hostile enemy. Who are we? A conquered, colonized people are in need of an identity of their own. They need an origin story to know where they come from to make sense of their world. And this isn't unique to Israel. Everybody needs an origin story. We can't go two months without getting a new Marvel movie where one of the superheroes, their origin story is told. Um, it's important, like, we'll, like they're, they're coming out with a Joker origin story. You know the Joker from Batman, right? He kind of just shows up in Batman's world as this evil, crazy, smiley, uh, clowny guy. Um, and what we see in, Marvel, in the Marvel stories is the backstory or their origin story kind of changes the way you see their character, right? Gives you more context for why they're either good or evil or why they struggle with this or why they're... Uh, um, good at that. Uh, and the reason why it's effective is because it gives you a new anchor, a new orienting point, a new direction from which to understand the trajectory of their narrative. So, friends, creation story functions like this. It answers the question, who is God? Like, who is he? And who are we? And how is God at work in the midst of all this we're experiencing. Who is God? Who are we? And how is God at work here? 
Today, friends, we proclaim that our, the God that uh, the creation story reveals, our God, is not like the other gods. He isn't violent. He isn't capricious, cantankerous, indifferent. The tumult and darkness, the chaotic void, isn't what births our God, but our God gives birth to creation by ordering the chaos, by forming the void, and by dispelling the darkness. Our God takes chaos and darkness and desolation and brings order and light and new life. You and I, we are not created as incidental accidents or created to be minions that are manipulated to do another's bidding. But God created and is still creating over the empty void, over the destructive chaos, into the desolate darkness, order, light, and life. Even today, even here, friends, his spirit hovers. Where is he speaking order in your life today? Where is he shining light? Where is he bringing new life out of desolation? When I was seven years old, friends, I've told some of you the story before, and I won't go into it today. Um, this could be a four-hour story in and of itself. When I was seven years old, my parents got a divorce. At that age, I saw it coming. I saw all the telltale signs of like a family that was falling apart. Uh, my mom would confide in me about how hard her marriage was. I was six, so I was kind of like, you know, what are you going to do with that? But at six years old, I kind of understood things weren't going great. There was arguing. There were, there were tears. There were threats of leaving. There was the begging to not leave and stay. One night, I remember this, I was laying in my bed and I heard the fighting in my living room and it woke me up. I probably was six at this point. I remember getting out of bed and I remember taking responsibility in that moment to keep my parents together. It wasn't conscious, but it was this emotional, visceral thing where I just sort of you know, um, sometimes you have snapshots, like really clear snapshots from your childhood that are just like lucid. This is one of them. The light's on in the kitchen. The light's not on the living room, but the light's spilling into that room. My dad's sitting on the end of the couch in the shadows. My mom is standing over here, and I'm on my knees crying and begging. Please don't get a divorce. I'll do anything and I think I even said, friends, you will break my heart. I've always had a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> uh, do you want to do that? I think I said, do you want to break my heart? Well, I'm not sure they did. But that wasn't enough to keep them from getting divorced. My heart did indeed break. My family dissolved. And my identity went into exile. The, the way that I made sense of who I was, ontologically, meaning at the core of my being, was this union, and it was no more, and I feel like I spent, see, I'm 42, that was seven, at least 30 years <laughs> wandering in the wilderness. Has this ever happened to you? 
Uh, not, not your parents getting divorced at seven. But has this ever happened to you where your story irrevocably changed? A seismic shift in your community or your world or how you understand who you are. Sometimes it happens to us without us having any say-so in the matter. Like just a job change. You get fired. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you have to go back to school. Sometimes you move your family halfway across the country twice in 10 months for a ministry job in Pauly's Island. Sometimes you move your family home from the mission field unexpectedly. Sometimes you leave full-time ministry. Sometimes you feel called to that full-time ministry, but there's this reorientation, this, your story's shifting. Sometimes it comes from more like, uh, not, not sort of vocationally, but family. Sometimes it's your parents' marriage is breaking down. Sometimes you have uh, siblings with addictions. Sometimes you have kids who walk away from the faith. You increasingly realize uh, maybe, maybe you're not like your mom and dad anymore. You used to be, but you're not anymore. Or I don't know who my kids are anymore. They used to make sense to me, and now they're distant and far. Sometimes it can be even as important to us as like friend drama, where the friends we used to have are people. Like, these are my people, and increasingly you're realizing these aren't my people anymore. I don't know how to relate to you. The things that are important to you are no longer important to me. You see the world this way, and I in, in increasingly can't relate to that. Maybe there was an explicit betrayal or a slow pull away and like a really um, quiet but definitive shunning and you're on the outside looking in. These are all experiences that we have in our lives, yeah? I don't know if you can relate to any of these things that, that are similar to what Israel's experiencing being exiled in Babylon. The story shifts the givens are changing and you have to come back to the beginning and say, who is God? Who are we? And where is God at work in the midst of all this? This is what's happening in Genesis 1. So most scholars think that Genesis 1 was written down in its final form during the exile of Israel to Babylon. They've lost their temple, the center of their existence. They've lost their land, the promise from God. They've lost their religious, cultural, social, political identity. This happened, this happened back in Egypt. They went to Egypt to be saved and ended up getting enslaved 400 years later, right? This had happened before, and it's happening again. They're taken away into a foreign land, this totalitarian regime, and the totalitarian regimes are experts at destroying identities so that you will not revolt. If I had four hours, I'd tell some stories about how America's done this, about how we take native peoples and put them in schools to deprogram their nat nativeness out of them so that they will comport with the American way of life and how it's destroyed families, led to the alcoholism we see today. It's awful. But this is what, this is what large countries do to get solidarity, line up, no revolting, Israel's experiencing this in Babylon. And Babylon has creation stories about the beginning and why they live. And so Israel's living in Babylon, trying to hold on to this identity that's been stripped and ripped from them. And they're asking, who is God? Who are we? And where is God at work in all this? 
And today, friends, we proclaim the good news that Israel heard 3,000 years ago, and we hear today that our God is not like other gods. He's not violent, capricious, indifferent. The tumult and the darkness and the chaotic void isn't what, what births our gods, but God is sovereign over that, and out of that births new creation, births order in the chaos, brings form into the void, brings light into the darkness, brings new life into the desolation, and his, his spirit hovers here today. God is not only created, but he's creating. He's a, create, he's a creative God. Today, friends, he is speaking order here. He is shining light and darkness here. He's bringing new life out of desolation here. Where do you need that today? Where do you need that today? Let's look at this, friends, quickly. These first uh, three verses of Genesis are, uh, are, are packed. I'm going to read them again, and then I'm going to say about 6% of what I could. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape and form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. So these, I've already said this, creation accounts like this were numerous in the ancient Near East. Every, every culture had a story about how it all began. The Babylonians, Mesopotamia, the Akkadians, uh, the Egyptians, and they all had common elements in them. So we'll talk about some of this Tuesday night, we'll go into details, but like they all had primordial waters, like this deep sea, this dark water. Every creation story had dark waters. Creation stories had divine rest where the gods would rest. In those stories, the gods rested so because uh, they created humans to do their bidding. It's a little different in this story. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, other stories have creation as separation, so there's a separating, like there's form and matter and stuff, and it's like separated and put into categories. We see that happening here. And the creator in other stories, we see farmer and a potter, and yes, someone who speaks things into being in the Egyptian story. So Genesis wasn't written as sort of a, uh, on a blank slate. Genesis is written of kind of a, you've heard it said, but I say to you kind of thing, right? So, so Genesis was written into a world where people were like, oh, okay, I know what's happening. There's dark and there's, there's, there's chaos. There's the Hebrews, tohu, tohu va bohu. I know what this stuff is. I've heard this stuff before. But there's definitive shifts in this story that would give Israel an idea of who they are. I got to say this too, friends, uh, because we're going to come back to this. There's this conceptualization that creation, the, what we know about creation comes from the first two chapters of Genesis, and that's true, but it's, that's not all there is. Like we read Psalm 74 today, I'm going to get to that in a little bit. There's creation elements in the Psalms that tell us things that are happening in creation. Proverbs 8, there's stuff in Proverbs 8 about creation. There's stuff in Job, in the book of Job, it's about creation. So we get creation information or story, not just from the first two chapters of Genesis, but from all over the Old and New Testaments, and we'll be diving into all that as we go. So if this story is written as an origin story, then immediately we see the first question, who is God, answered. In other stories, like the Enuma Elish, 
Anybody ever heard that before? The Enuma Elisha. Another one's called the Ultrahasis. We'll read some of these on Tuesday. But these gods were petulant and violent and capricious. They were angry and moody and ruthless. And they were coercive, domineering, temperamental. I think I've used every adjective I possibly can to describe these gods. They were the gods of dark waters and chaotic voids. Specifically in the Numa Elish, male waters and female waters had a fight. And one god lost, and out of that god's carcass, humanity was created. So, this, so the formless and void, the tohu vabohu, even the deep, the word tehom in Hebrew is close to the word Tiamat, which is one of the Babylonian gods in the creation story. So if you're listening to this as a Hebrew, you're going, oh yeah, this, I know this stuff. But wait, you're, this isn't how it goes. This isn't how Enuma Elish goes. Something's going on here. Something different is happening. You see, God is presented in Genesis not as, uh, not as unpredictable, capricious, dangerous, violent, but God is, uh, is presented as, as uh, powerful, present, giving, ordering, arranging. God doesn't have a beginning. In other creation stories, the gods are born out of things. This God just is in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 is very specific here. In the beginning was the word. Before anything was created, he was. So our God is beginningless. He's the fabric of reality. This is different than sort of God being this separate entity that sort of does this thing over here, but we'll see next week as Ben will preach that God creates everything so he can inhabit and dwell what he's created. Other other cultures have little houses for their gods. God creates the universe as his temple and he inhabits it with his people. But God is uncreated, so he holds all things together, and in him all things are created, as we heard from Colossians 1 today. He gives life, light, and order. His purpose, his grounding, his being is love, and so love is giving and nourishing and and enlivening and empowering, sustaining. Our God, Genesis says, is not like other gods. He's not capricious and violent and indifferent. The tumult and the darkness and the chaos doesn't birth him, but rather he hovers over it and births creation out of it. And we, friends, we're not incidental or accidental. But we're created for a definitive purpose. We have a, we have a story and a place. And today, into our empty voids, into our chaotic destruction, into our dark desolation, today the Spirit still hovers over bringing order, shining light, creating new life in the, in the desolation. So then, uh, that's who God is. Who are we? This is jumping a little bit ahead of the story. But in this, in this uh, second verse is all kinds of allusions to other creation stories because what happened in those stories was that humanity, were, were, there were accidents, basically. And some there were accidents, like, whoops, we got, mm, what are we going to do with these people? Or sometimes they're like, the gods are lazy and they don't want to work. So out of the bloody body of a dead god, they form humanity 
so that humans can work while we rest. So at best, we were sort of these minions, these slaves, and kind of wanted so we could take some time off, us gods. At worst, we were these accidents. But in Genesis, we're purposely created. We're the pinnacle, actually, of creation to enjoy God's presence and power in the world. So friends, who are we? Well, we're very good. You are very good. Still. Primarily, fundamentally. You're very good. You're a part of God's reason for creation. You've not been forgotten. The way to sum this up is, in other stories, humans are born of violence and blood as slaves to the gods. But in our story, we are born of breath, spirit, and dust as children of God. Who is God? Well, he's not violent, capricious, and different. God gives birth to new life, to light, to order out of the chaos. Who are we? Well, we're not incidental accidents. We're not made to be minions to do the bidding of some capricious God. But rather, we're his special creation. We're his children. And he's still hovering here today. His spirit is here today. So that's the third thing. Where is God in all this? Well, in the, in the other stories, God is fighting. He's seeking dominance and control. He's needing someone to do his work for him so he can rest, like I said. In ancient Near East, like God is the cause of all the problems. The gods are the cause of problems. And, and so then religion, meaning Baal worship or Marduk worship, is how we pacify and placate the gods who are at best indifferent towards us and at most hostile towards us. So we, we make sacrifices and we worship to sort of placate and pacify to bribe and to woo the gods. But Yahweh, our God, Israel's God, here is pictured as one who hovers above. He's distinct from the darkness and the chaos and the formlessness, but he's at work in it and among it. The spirit, the breath, moves over the water to create. Friends, there's all, you, we can't even read, unless this is like locked into our imaginations, we miss so much of what's happening in Scripture. Jesus walking on water isn't about him doing a miracle. He's not like David Blaining live from New York. When, when, there is, when the boats on the waters of the deep, where Baal lives, in the apostles' mind, and a storm comes up and blows their ship off course, this is full freakout mode for ancient Near East people because the deep darkness where chaos lives, we read in Psalm 74, the dragons and Leviathan, where, the, where, where Baal and other gods live, is coming and is pissed off. So what does Jesus do to calm them? He hovers over the water. He hovers over the water. This is why they're terrified. Not because Jesus is like wearing like a zombie mask. They're terrified because they're like. And they even say this in Mark's God. Who is, who is this that he commands even the wind and the waves? 
Who is this that is in control of the waves, of the deep darkness, the, the tehom? Who is this that commands the deep and it listens? There's only one choice. Jesus hovers and calms and orders. Psalm 74 is this allusion to the Exodus, right? So there's the dragons and crush the Leviathan's head. Probably talk about this some other time, but like there's all kinds of creational elements in the Exodus story. <laughs> like it's a new, it's a new, cre- like God is creating a people out of Egypt and putting them in the wilderness, which is a place of testing and trying. Anyway, but it's also an allusion to creation. So the, the writer of Psalm 74 sees what's happening in Egypt and the Exodus and what's happening in creation as, as like the same kind of thing. Right? God's crushing the head of the deep. God triumphs over the other gods. Friends, the good news today is that our God is not capricious and indifferent and violent. He isn't birthed up out of the chaos, up out of the darkness, but rather he hovers over it and he orders it and he forms and he brings new life out of it. He even hovers here today. His spirit is with us today, wanting to order our chaos, wanting to bring form out of things that seem empty and have voids and bringing new life out of desolation and darkness. Where do you need that today? So uh, recently, I haven't shared this with too many people, but recently I was diagnosed with PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Which kind of shocked me. I laughed when the doctor told me. Uh, He was like, uh, hey, this is the number that ordinary people, like above it, they have PTSD. And here's the number if you're an active military person. Above that, you have PTSD. He's like, here's your number. And in his very typical way of saying things, he goes, so I'm fairly confident that you have PTSD. And I laughed uh, because it never occurred to me that that would happen. And then I cried because I felt uh, completely validated for feeling the way I felt. Um, And all I can say about my experience of having post-traumatic stress disorder is that um, I I feel like uh, this vacillation between there being this gnawing, aching void in my gut and being on high alert, I'm under attack, and like the dog just barked two feet away from my head and I haven't seen it yet. You know what I mean? That little like that nervous system turns on. And as I read this uh, today, uh, this week, and I've uh, been sitting with it, like I need God's breath over the formlessness, over the void, over the swirling chaos that I feel right here at the top of my top of my abdomen. It's called the xiphoid process. I think I learned that in high school, and I still remember. Sorry. Like right here, I feel it. I need God's life, I need God's word to move over this deep darkness, this chaotic emotion. Chaotic emotion or emotional void. I need God's new life, new creative life here today.
Friends, where do you need that today? Where do you need this good news today? Maybe you're in touch with something personally for you, relationally or situationally. Maybe you're in touch with something in our world where our world is experiencing darkness, chaos, void. So let's take some time responding to this good news that our God is not like other gods and that he hovers even today over us to bring form and light and new life out of our chaos and darkness.